turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles. We're continuing to work our way through 1 Timothy. We find ourselves this morning in chapter 4. We're going to be looking specifically at verse 14 this morning. I have to, uh, I have to learn to stay here so that the camera can zoom in. I'm a pacer. I like to walk around. And last week I was told there was some confusion with the camera being zoomed in. And then I'd walk off camera and then the people in the overflow room couldn't see me. So I am, I am learning. And I do, uh, I do, you know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm not that old. There are some dogs you just can't teach, period. Um, but I am going to try my best. I, I am a pacer, so it's a little bit out of the norm for me. So, uh, but I am, I am trying. So uh, all that to say, we're continuing to work our way through 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4 this morning. We come to this section, the tail end of uh, chapter 4, where um, we're looking, there, there's a, a paragraph here where Paul gives Timothy specific instructions that Timothy needs to know and understand as he continues in his ministry. And uh, those instructions, they, they start in verse 11, and they really continue on into, uh, into chapter 5, really. Uh, but before we begin to unpack all of those general instructions, there's a verse that comes right in the middle of this paragraph that I think we would do well just to pause and consider individually before we, before we move forward and look at all of the verses as a whole. And that verse specifically comes in verse 14. And so this is the verse we're going to be talking about today because it, as a result of this verse, there is sometimes quite a bit of confusion that I think goes into uh, what it means to have a pastor. Um, I think sometimes Christians can uh, overemphasize the role of the pastor, sometimes believing that uh, there is some sort of supernatural prophecy that is resting upon him. And so as we look at this passage this morning in terms of how Timothy specifically became a pastor, I just want to take a moment to unpack this verse and to sort of clear the landmine, if you will, to deal with the pitfall that is uh, in this verse. And then next week, we'll pick it up. We'll look at verses 11 and, and, to, the end of the, and to the end of the chapter and, and look at it as a whole. But this morning, I just wanted to clear off this landmine, which is found in verse 14. So I want you to look at verse 14 with me. We're going to read it. And uh, then we're going to ask for God to help us as we, as we get to work. So if you would, verse 14, Paul's instruction, his exhortation to Timothy, he says, Do not neglect the gift that you have, the gift that you have, which was given to you. Now the ESV is going to translate this by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. The statement that Paul makes there is do not neglect the gift that you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. Let's pray and then we'll get to work. Father, we ask that your spirit would shine upon this text this morning, that you would illuminate this passage before us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand the full significance of what is being said here by Paul to Timothy And as we press into that, Father, I pray that we would not step wide of the mark, that we would not be drawn away into side discussions about spiritual gifts or perhaps the ongoing nature of prophecy, but help us to just see clearly what you are saying here to us in your word as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. We pray by your son's name. Amen. 
Many, many years ago, uh, when I was in seminary, we had to take a preaching class where we had to practice the actual gift of preaching. And uh, I'm going to stay right here today. I'm going to do my very best. Um, and I remember in this preaching class, one of the uh, students who I was there with, he, he had, we had to give practice sermons, which we had to stand up and preach to each other. And so we would take turns every week. Somebody would stand up and preach a sermon, and we'd all sit to him, sit there and listen to him and evaluate the sermon. And I remember particularly one of my colleagues, he preached a sermon, and his introduction, uh, he went on to talk about how words had shaped him, how words had influenced him. And he mentioned specifically that as a young man, he had an uncle who was very, very critical and who had shared with him that he would not amount to anything. The comment that this uncle made to him was that he thought he was lazy, he thought that he was not very bright, that he was not very intelligent, and that there was no chance that this man would ever grow up and be successful at anything in life. And lo and behold, he'd grown up and he'd sensed the call of God on his life to go into pastoral ministry, and even at seminary, as we're sitting here taking this class together, he was at that time already involved in a church in the Metroplex in Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he already had a thriving growing ministry. And in the midst of this sermon introduction, he talked about how the words that his uncle had spoken to him never ceased to haunt him. He was very sensitive as a result of all of those preacher jokes that we hear all the time about pastors who only work for 30 minutes on a Sunday. And for the record, I always preach longer than 30 minutes. So give me my fair due, if you will. Um, not too much longer, but, you know, I go longer. Um, but he, he was very sensitive to those jokes. He was aware of those sorts of comments. And, and so he always worked hard, and he had a thriving ministry. God was drawing lots of people under his teaching. And he couldn't help but wonder, as he's sharing all this with us, at the end of the day, when he looks at a successful ministry that he has, if he's really doing it for the glory of God, or if he's doing it just to spite his uncle who was critical of him. All that to say that the things that we hear, especially when we're young, but really throughout all of our life, the things that we hear do shape us for good and for bad. Now, as you're hearing this, you're thinking to yourself, so the solution is probably this. Let's just not pay any attention to the critical or the negative remarks that anyone might say to us. The problem with that is that it is not rooted in the gospel. Jesus, when he is being tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, he is in the wilderness, he is hungry, he has been fasting for 40 days, and Satan comes to him and says, command these stones to be turned into loaves of bread, and therefore you can be fed and you won't be hungry anymore. And Jesus' statement to Satan is this, be gone, get away from me, Satan. He says, it stands written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The, the wrong reaction, the extreme reaction is to say that we should pay no attention to the words of anyone, but Christ's response to the temptation of Satan is that man does need a word, you do need something spoken to you, and the word which you need, the word which is more important to you, even than physical sustenance, even than bread and food, is the word of God. We live by the word of God. 
And so as we look at this passage this morning in which Paul is encouraging Timothy in his ministry, the big idea that I want you to to really wrap your mind around is that Paul is seeking to give encouragement to Timothy by drawing to his attention, by drawing to his remembrance the fact that a word had been spoken by God that was to be the foundation of of all his efforts, all his striving, and all his labors in the pastoral ministry that God had given to him. And as we look at that, I want you today, First Baptist Church, I want you to reflect on exactly who you are, not as the world sees you, not as the critics criticize you, not as those around us might make fun of you, I want you to consider yourself in light of who God made you to be. And I want you to be reminded of the fact that God's word should shape you and should focus you and should drive your efforts moving forward. We pick it up here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul begins to make a series of, of statements to Timothy. You'll, you'll recall that in the church at Ephesus, Timothy is struggling with false teaching, and there are heretical people there that are putting forward false ideas, and he's struggling with all of this. And Paul makes this statement, you know, you need to deal with these heretical teachers. He identifies some of the heresies. He talks about asceticism and severity to the body. He, he talks about the need for Timothy to present these things to the church, to put these things before the brothers. And then he comes in verse 11. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. And then verse 14, he says, don't neglect the gift that you have. And so the statement that Paul makes to Timothy is that there is something that Timothy has been given, which he did not have previously. He says, don't ignore it, don't forget it. By which application I can say to you today, there is something you've been given. And you are also called not to ignore it and not to forgive it, not to forget it. Paul says here, do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. Now in this next part of the verse, Paul begins to focus in very specifically on the calling that God put on Timothy's life to go into pastoral ministry, to serve the church, and the gifting that God had bestowed upon Timothy in order to adequately equip him to successfully carry out that ministry. And Paul's statement here, as the ESV translates it, is that Timothy received this gift, as the ESV translates it, by prophecy, when the elders laid their hands upon him, when he was ordained, when he was set aside for pastoral ministry. Now, here's the danger that we have when we read that verse. And some of your translations will render it slightly differently. Some of your translations will say through prophecy. But here's the danger that we have here. We have, when we look at this verse, the temptation before us that as we appoint men to pastoral ministry, and we have two men right now that are pursuing it. We have, obviously, James Casson as well as Tyler Walkton. The danger that we have here is that when we begin to put these men into pastoral ministry, when we begin to appoint them to the office of pastor, that as we read these verses here, we might have this idea in our mind that we need to somehow hear supernatural revelation from God, 
regarding these men that somehow we need to have supernatural revelation that tells us specifically what these men are going to do with their lives and with their ministry, and that somehow we need to speak this forth into their lives so that they will always have this, this sort of this commissioning word from God that they can always cling to, that they can always hold on to whenever they encounter tough times. And, and when we come to that conclusion, we're coming to that conclusion based largely on what Paul says here to Timothy. Well, I don't hear audible voices from God. I'm sure most of you don't either. And we can all tell the joke of the lady that did hear voices from God, and it turned out that she was hearing different voices in her head and thought that they were from God. We've all been around those individuals that struggled with mental illness or schizophrenia. And so as a result of this, when we approach the scriptures, we tend to approach it from the perspective that we can lean on the word of God and that ongoing uh, words from the Lord are not, are not necessary anymore. When we look at this verse here, I want to I show you the meaning of this preposition, dia. The ESV translates it by... And when you translate it that way, it has this understanding that there's some sort of instrument being used here, that somehow uh, it was impossible for Timothy to become a pastor unless there was some sort of prophecy that was being uttered uh, at his ordination service. But the actual meaning of this preposition, dia, it doesn't mean by. It's not indicating instrumentality. It's merely showing the course by which something came about, the process through which something came about, which is why some of your translations will render this preposition through. Another way to read this verse is to say, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that you have which was given to you through prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. That second phrase, when, that's clearly a phrase that is describing the time in which the gift was received. There's a temporal aspect to it. And so to fully understand what Paul is saying here to Timothy, we need to understand that there was an element of prophecy that was involved, but we should not immediately jump to the conclusion that the prophecy was spoken at the moment that these guys laid their hands on Timothy. That's not what Paul is saying. But what we do need to understand as we look at this verse is that the gift was received at the moment that they laid their hands on him. Not necessarily prophecy, but definitely the gift. And those are two very crucial distinctions that I want to make to you this morning. The reason why it is better to see this verse as saying through prophecy instead of by prophecy is because of the nature of prophecy. It is a powerful, powerful concept that God would speak to us through other human beings, but speak to us in such a way that even though these words are coming through others, they are his words bearing his stamp of approval, bearing his seal. I don't want you to flip there, but just listen to this. This passage is from, uh, from 2 Peter chapter 1. The Apostle Peter makes this statement, we have something more certain, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And he goes on and he makes a statement, knowing this first of all. This is the first thing we need to understand about prophecy. No prophecy, listen to this, no prophecy comes from someone's own interpretation, that is someone's own understanding, but it comes 
through the Holy Spirit. It says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The point that Peter is making here in 2 Peter is that when God speaks, when prophecy comes, it comes through men, but men are not involved with the speaking of God. They are being moved by the Holy Spirit. It's one of the greatest mysteries that we encounter in Scripture that God would speak to us, that he would speak to us through human authors, but exactly how this process worked, how it was, undone, how it was done, how it unfolded, it's one of those things that we can never fully grasp. But Peter's statement is that men were moved, they were carried along in such a way by the Holy Spirit that God spoke through them, but they were his words being written down by men. This is prophecy. Is this what is happening when we ordain people into pastoral ministry? This is not what is happening when we ordain people to pastoral ministry. I'm going to use an illustration, but bear with me. I don't drink alcohol. I'm not encouraging anybody to go out and buy a Bud Light or anything like that. But when you look at Budweiser beer, there's Budweiser and then there's Bud Light. As the commercial says, same great taste, less filling. Fewer calories, fewer carbohydrates. It's sort of a scaled back, reduced version of of beer. And sometimes we encounter this idea within church that there's prophecy, that there's the word of God. And the same way that you'll have Budweiser and Bud Light, there's sort of like this dietary version of prophecy. You've got prophecy, and then you've got prophecy light. And so sometimes this idea is advocated that when we ordain people to pastoral ministry, we should prophesy over them, not in the same way that scripture was prophesied, but that we should prophesy over them in a, in a sort of a prophecy light kind of way. But here's the problem. When God speaks, God speaks. And he doesn't speak in one way through his word as prophecy and then speak in a prophecy light sort of way. We have no indication from the scriptures that this is how God speaks. We have no indication in the scriptures that he speaks in an authoritative, inerrant, infallible way through the Bible and that he somehow then speaks to us in a sort of less inerrant, less infallible way through us having these sort of encounters with him. We don't ever actually see that. We see God emphasizing the bedrock of scripture. We see God giving us the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit's job is to lead us and to guide us into all truth, and that he does this through emphasizing the centrality and the priority of the Scriptures. Yes, there are definitely examples in the Bible. Gideon putting out fleeces. We have uh, instances in which there are men who roll dice, who try to discern the will of God through the rolling of dice and through the putting out of fleeces. We do know that God can 
speak in all manner of different ways. And yet, as we look at the grand totality of Scripture, what we find is we find books like Proverbs. We find books like Ecclesiastes. We find the Psalms. We find the wisdom literature in the New Testament. We find the book of James. And we find that through these different books, there is a great amount of teaching given in which it is intended to guide us in all kinds of different ethical situations, all kinds of different circumstances that we will find ourselves in, such that what God wants us to do is he doesn't want us to flip a quarter whenever we encounter a different, a difficult situation. He doesn't want us to roll some dice and say, I don't know what God's will is in this moment. Let's hear from the Lord. Let's throw dice. Let's flip a quarter. Or let's pretend we're hearing direct voices from heaven God wants you to hear a voice from heaven, but he wants you to have confidence and certainty in what that voice is saying to you. And as a result, he sends the Holy Spirit into your life to drive you into the word of God, which speaks to every circumstance. Every circumstance. You say, Pastor, where does that come from? The exact same book where Peter says, no prophecy comes by man or by the will of man, No prophecy comes when man decides it ought to come. Prophecy comes as God determines to send it. In that same book, Peter begins by saying that in chapter 1, verse 3, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Let me read it to you one more time. Peter's statement, as he is moved by the Holy Spirit, is that God has given us all things, not most things, not some things, all things that pertain to godliness. He makes a statement, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we become the partakers of the holy divine nature. What Peter is saying at the beginning of chapter 1 in his second letter is that God has given us his word, he has given us his promises, it is through this that we become partakers of the divine nature. And then he concludes that very same chapter by saying prophecy does not ever come when men will for it to come. Prophecy does not ever come as a man determines. It comes only by the decision of God through the movement of the Holy Spirit such that men are carried along by the Holy Spirit. So you're arranging an ordination service for a young man who is aspiring to become a pastor. Say, God, I know you are sovereign. I know you speak according to your own will, but hey, Sunday night, 7 p.m., we've got an ordination service. I need you to speak at about that time. Could you do that? Because it it would really be helpful to this guy. And we might even get fancy and say, I would really like for you to speak at that time, God, because after all, as we're looking here in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul is trying to encourage Timothy by reminding him of a prophecy that was given. This is how he is to sustain long-term endurance in pastoral ministry. And it'd be really great as we're appointing James Casson or Tyler Walkton. You know, they're going to come in all kinds of different situations and circumstances. It'd be really great if we could 
give them a prophecy that would sustain them. So can you show up at seven o'clock on a Sunday night? Let me tell you what's going on here. Paul makes a statement to Timothy. This isn't the only time he said it. He says, don't neglect the gift you have which was given to you through prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Flip back one page. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies. Notice this. In accordance with the prophecies that were previously made about you. Okay? So Paul is alluding to the fact that there is a prophecy that is there that has been made about Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy to do certain things as a result of what he has heard through these prophecies. In chapter 4, he says, don't neglect the gift you have which has come through or by means of prophecy. Now I want you to go to 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and look at this, verse 6. And again, in his second letter to Timothy, he makes a similar statement. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of the hands. Again, Paul is saying that you received a gift the moment we laid hands. He says, through the laying on of hands, for God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. These are the statements we have regarding Timothy's ordination. In chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Remember, according to the prophecies previously made about you. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Don't neglect the gift you have which came when we laid hands on you through prophecy. And here in 2 Timothy, he, he sort of elaborates on what this gift might be. He says, for this reason, I remind you to, flan, to fan into flame the gift which is in you through the laying on of hands. And he talks about having a spirit of love and self-control. We take these three verses together. And we say, it's very clear that there was a moment in time in which the elders in this church put their hands on Timothy, that Paul even was in that group, that they put their hands on him, that they prayed for him, and that in that moment, Timothy received a gift that would enable him to fulfill his pastoral ministry. That much we can say with absolute certainty. But what we can't say with absolute certainty was that it was at that moment that they actually received prophecy. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, he says the prophecies in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. So here's a question. Are there prophecies in the scripture which talk about pastors? Indeed there are. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. Just listen, don't flip. Return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city, two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. God's promise there is that he's going to begin calling out his remnant. He's going to begin calling together his church. 
And in that promise of calling forth a remnant, he says, I promise to give you shepherds who will take care of you, men after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. They're going to help you to see, to know, and to understand. That's not the only prophecy we encounter. Same book, Jeremiah 23, 3 and 4. I will gather together the remnant of my flock out of all of the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their own fold, and it is there that they shall be fruitful and multiply. And I will set over them shepherds who will care for them, and they shall be no more afraid, nor shall they be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord." Even in Paul's own ministry, what does Paul routinely refer to himself as? He refers to him time and time again as an apostle of the Lord to the Gentiles in the same way that Peter is an apostle of the Lord to the Jews. And he even quotes it at one point in the book of Romans. He says, God has appointed me to go to the Gentiles, and he references the prophecy from Isaiah where God says in that particular passage to Jesus, I have appointed you as a light unto the nations or unto the Gentiles. Paul finds his commissioning to do what he is doing through prophecy, which if you go back and you look at this prophecy, it's pointing at Christ Timothy can find his commissioning to shepherd and to pastor and to care for these people in Ephesus through prophecies that have been spoken through Jeremiah. We see here that the word of God is a foundation, a bedrock upon which we can stand as we pursue what God has for us in our life. It's not necessarily saying that when we ordain certain people or when you stand up and you say, hmm, what sort of job should I have? What sort of career should I go into? That we need to gather all the church around and we need to hear direct special revelation and have a moment of prophecy in which we hear God speaking audibly and we put hands on you and we say, this is what God wants you to do with your life. I know it can seem that way from this particular verse, but the translation allows for the fact that Paul could easily be referring to prophecies that were spoken long ago by previous generations, prophecies such as what is mentioned in Jeremiah or Ezekiel. But prophecies, listen to me now, which still give purpose and meaning to what Timothy is supposed to be doing. Over the course of 20 years in pastoral ministry, I have um, done dozens of interviews uh, we've been doing a number of interviews even here recently as, we, as we've been looking for a new administrator here at the church. And um, I've, really, I've interviewed for all kinds of different positions, uh, whether we're talking about interns, summer interns, whether we're talking about secretaries or administrators, whether we're talking about uh, assistant pastors or lay leaders or deacons. Uh, over the years, I've conducted lots and lots of, lots and lots of interviews for individuals who are pursuing some sort of a role within the church. Now, whenever you're talking to anyone about a role that they're going to have within the church, the primary concern that you have is not really the past, it's really the present and the future. 
These are individuals who are going to come, who are going to serve in some way. They're going to bring some blessing. They're going to meet some need. They're going to serve in some capacity within the church. And we're looking primarily at how they're going to meet the needs of the church in the present as well as in the future. And yet, when we sit down to conduct an interview, what do we primarily talk about? We talk about the past. We ask questions regarding how it was that they came to faith. How did they come to know the Lord? We ask questions regarding their family background. What type of a home did they grow up in? And very importantly, we ask questions about what types of previous jobs did they have? Do they have a good reference from those jobs? Did they ever get fired from a job? We're looking at things like character, how people know them, how they relate to other people. We're looking at things like job performance. We're looking at things like competency. And the question is, why do we look backwards at all of these things that have already happened in time if the primary concern that we have is the present and the future? And if any of you have ever worked in any kind of a job in which you've supervised or been in any type of a management role, you already know the answer to the question because it's obvious. Past performance is the best and most critical indicator of future performance. Past behavior is an indication of what this person is going to do in the future. And when we approach the Word of God, this is in a nutshell exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. Look forward Step forward, pursue the ministry that God has given you, but remember what has already happened in the past. And it applies to you, Timothy. The prophecy given to Jeremiah, which Jeremiah published and made known, that there was a day coming in which he would appoint shepherds over his church. Do you suppose at any time there was ever a rabbi that said, yes, and clearly this prophecy is speaking about a young man who's going to be born to a Jewish parents with a Greek father named Timothy who is going to meet a man named Paul, and one day he's going to grow up and he become the pastor of the church at Ephesus. That's clearly what this prophecy is talking about. No. You read any of the commentaries that the rabbis have written on the Old Testament, you read any of the, the Mishnah or the Talmud or any of this stuff, you won't find any mention of Timothy. And yet Paul is saying that there was a point in time in which the elders gathered together in the church. They looked at the word of God. They looked at what the scriptures were describing. They looked at prophecies which had already been given, past promises, things that God said would happen. And then they looked at Timothy to see whether or not he was fulfillment of those previous prophecies. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Pursue your ministry because God told that men just like you and indeed you yourself would come. And if you are slow to believe it, there was a whole council of elders who looked at your life, who considered who you were, and they saw it too. And in case you have forgotten, there was this moment where we prayed for you, 
and we put our hands on you. And in that moment, God unleashed you to be all that he had previously determined that you would be, and you were the man called to pastor the church at Ephesus. Don't forget that. And so you're sitting here today and you're saying, that's great, pastor, but what does that have to do with me? I work a nine-to-five job that's at minimum wage. I work amongst people that hate Christianity. They would never say that they hate Christianity, but any time that I start to talk about going to church or any time that they happen to notice me reading my Bible on my lunch break, they never miss an opportunity to ridicule me or to make fun of me. So what does that have to do with me? This sounds like a great sermon to be preached at an ordination service, but what about me? Dear brothers and sisters, let me tell you exactly what this has to do with you. Do you think that prophecies mentioned by Jeremiah are the only prophecies that exist? Do you think words given which foretell the coming of pastors are the only words which have ever been given? Consider a few other passages, if you will. Isaiah 49, 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? These may indeed forget, but I will never forget you. Hear that. God has not forgotten you. He is not focusing only on church leaders you are very dear. Consider from Psalms. He keeps count of the number of hairs on my head and he gathers my tears together and puts them in a bottle. The word of God is saying that he tracks your every movement and he even knows the number of tears you've cried over the course of your life. Psalm 76, verse 1, David's statement, Upon you have I leaned from before I was born. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. Now, watch carefully, church. David's statement here is that there was a plan for David before he was born. Jeremiah says the same thing. Jeremiah 1.5, God speaking to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Even Paul mentions this sort of thing. Galatians 1.15 and 16, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, what's he quoting from? He's quoting from Jeremiah. But when he who had set me apart before I was even born and who had called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. And then Paul goes on from there. Now we have here in the word of God very clear promises. Men of God understood that God had appointed them for a purpose, that he had a special plan for their life. And the same is true for you who are here today. You didn't get to choose when you were born, where you were born, who your parents were. You had no control over any of those things. You came into this world at this time, at this place, according to God's providential will, and he clearly has a plan for you. 
In my office this morning, I'm sitting here listening to church history going on, just the tenant talk right outside my office door, and they're talking about wonderful and exciting times that had happened in the early days of the church and things that had gone on. And I am always tempted to think, man, wouldn't it have been great if I was born 2,000 years ago, if I could have lived during the time in which they were trying to wrestle through what correct orthodox doctrine was, and they were denouncing these heretics and all this wonderful, great stuff. I think that would be so exciting. And it's in that moment, as I'm sitting there listening to that, that I realize that some of you have probably had that thought as well. Oh, how I wish I could go back to a simpler time, as though there actually were simple times. Oh, how I wish I could go back to the 50s. My dad loves 57 Chevys. And every year, I, I, when I talk, when we visit and I talk to him, he says, oh, how I wish I could go back and drag race my 1957 Chevy. Undoubtedly, there are some of you who are thinking those same thoughts. I wish I could go back to a, the medieval times. I wish I could have been a knight. I wish I could have been alive at this point in time or this point in history. That would be great. But you know what God says? There's something greater. He appointed you for this time. He appointed you to live right where you are, to fulfill his calling on your life, to bear witness and testimony to the world in which you find yourself. And the testimony and the witness that you are to bear is there's a God in heaven who loves and who saves. Don't miss that, church. I have found that the truest, best saints, the, the greatest men of God, whom I have learned from, who have impacted me, who have encouraged me over the years, were men who believed in what God said in his word. They locked that down in their life, and they persevered whatever the circumstances were, whatever the difficulties they encountered. Such that we see here, even through this exhortation, this encouragement that Paul is giving to Timothy, the greatest, the greatest strength to perseverance is remembering the promises of God, such that past promises, previous words already spoken provide the foundation and the bedrock upon which you stand and from which you step forward into what God has for you. Perseverance in the faith comes from having faith in what God has already spoken. You say, what does this have to do with me, preacher? In the same way that Paul encourages Timothy to remember, I'm encouraging you to remember. It's not that there's a specific verse anywhere in this book that has your name. It's that all of these verses have your name. It's not that you will see it written literally on the page in the book. It's that you would understand God intended all of it for you specifically, individually. And when you grow tired and frustrated through striving for the Lord, when you begin to look at the present circumstances, when you begin to become tempted to think that your efforts are not amounting to anything, and despite how hard you try, you're not succeeding and you're getting weary, it's in that moment that I want to remind you, you are not saved by your efforts. God saves you. 
It's in that moment where you think you're having no success that you need to be reminded that the one that always gives success is the one who has called you, who has appointed you. And at the end of the day, whether you think you're having success or not, he is the final judge of whether or not you are being successful. We tend to start off by saying, yes, salvation is a gift, and then from that we step heavily into works and effort. Go back to the cross. God saved you there, and it was there that he appointed you a ministry which he will give you the grace to succeed in. And the standard and the criterion by which you evaluate your success is not what the world says about you. It's not even what you say about you. It's what the Lord says about you. And I want you to look forward as well. There's a day coming in which those who have faithfully stepped out on the promises of God will meet God face to face, and he makes this promise. This is a word which should shape you. Revelation chapter 2. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches and to the one who conquers. I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. A unique name, a name that is yours and no one else's, a name that describes you exactly as he intended you to be, from before the foundation of the world, the essence of which you are becoming as he walks with you through this life, and at the culmination, at the final moment of glory, is the name which he promises to give to you, and in expressing it, this will be when he says, well done, you have become the idea that I had of you before I created any of this. George MacDonald, commenting on Revelation 2.7, says, God's name for a person, it is the expression of his own idea of that person, that individual whom he had in his thought when he began to make that child and whom he kept in his thought through the long process of creation that went on to realize the full idea. To finally, at long last, tell the name to the person is to seal the success to say to you, in you I am well pleased for marvelously and fearfully and wonderfully I have made you just as you are. Don't forget the word of God, church, and allow what he says to you through the scriptures to shape you into the man that he is making you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us. We thank you, God, for speaking to us. And Lord, I pray that your church this morning would be reminded of the fact that your word must shape us, that it is your word which must reveal to us who we are meant to be, which must set for us the standard and the criterion by which we measure and quantify success, that it is you, God, who is working through us. Father, if there are any here today who are discouraged because they believe their efforts accomplish nothing, if there are any here today who are tempted to despair because they feel that there is nothing more that they can do for you in this life, I pray, God, that you would remind them of your calling, that they would not be discouraged by what they see, 
but that they would be shaped time and again and only by what you say. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.